The Hope FM Breakfast Show, brought to you by Creative Dental Clinic Budapest. Get the dental health you and your mouth deserve. Visit creativedental.eu. That's creative, starting with a K and ending with a V, dentalclinic.eu. Well, my very special guest today is the brand new leader of, of BCP Council, uh, Councillor Vicky Slade. Good morning to you, Vicky. Good morning, Blair. And what a fantastic weather. This is the sort of weather we need in Bournemouth, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's perfect, isn't it? If we had this for three months, you wouldn't need to go anywhere else, would you? Yeah, there would be complaining, wouldn't we, about it was being too hot. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's talk a wee bit about uh, about you. Where, where did your interest in all things politics come from? Was that in you from when you were small? Um, no, I mean, I, I didn't study politics. I haven't been to university. I've got not got any sort of background at all. Um, it started um, literally because I ran a business uh, in, in Broadstone where we live. And um, I got frustrated with the council that they weren't doing things that I you know wanted them to do. So I started getting involved with the local chamber of trade. And that involved me having to go to meetings at the council and agitating and somebody then said well you know why don't you get involved that's often how many of us get involved isn't it and um and I just realized very quickly that I could be the voice for people that didn't have a voice um I don't have many skills as such I'm not creative I'm, I'm not particularly well qualified um but what I do have is a voice and um some people don't feel they understand how to use that best so why not use it and i think it's true isn't it that a lot of people will stand and complain but Mm -hmm. actually there's not much good in complaining if that's all you do you know no but a lot of people complain um because the everything seems so opaque and complex Mm. um and that's why i think it's so important that if you've got a problem that you you offer to do something about it you know, and if you can do something about it, that you you share that. So, which is why I'm always really keen to try and talk to people and, and give people the explanation when we do things that perhaps people don't like, um, because people will understand. It's usually just complete ignorance, you know, because they don't feel like they've been consulted about things. And of course, people can get very angry if they're feeling that they're not consulted or they're mm. or that they're being lied to, or which of course, sadly, we're seeing a lot, aren't we, in the political stage at the moment? Do you know what? At the moment, um, especially what's gone on over the last three or four days, it does make you think, you know, it is a toxic culture and there is an assumption that we're all as bad as each other. You know, we hear it on the doorsteps and, um, you know, there's an assumption that everyone's in it for themselves and that's so, so sad because it's just not like that. Now, obviously, uh, local politics, very, very different to the national stage. I know that you you aspired for both. Yep. Uh, but... I mean, do you think the average person really uh, understands enough about how their own local council functions? Not at all. And it's interesting, the turnout that people have for elections on the local is is typically 25-30%. So, you know, only one in four people are voting. And when you talk to them, they say, well, you know, what's the point? Actually... Typical households paying two thousand, two and a half thousand pounds a year, and everything that the council are doing is going to affect your life every day. And you've got the chance to have your say. And I, I don't think we do a good enough job of making it clear what councils are responsible for, 
and I think more people would would vote if I mean in my area the turnout's about doubled the average which Again, I like Rodstrom, to think Rodstrom's a little bubble though isn't it it, it is it's but quite, I also like yeah. to think that it's had really proactive councillors and MP for a long time and so people feel like they've got they've got a vested interest you know they've got some skin in the game and uh, hopefully that's you know that affects the turnout and i know that one of your passions is for that involvement and mm. so on and we're talking about that a wee bit later on now obviously here you are you've been shot into the position of council leader um did you anticipate that um i think we expected that we would have a good election outcome um, obviously, we came from the opposition. We were the largest party in the opposition. And everybody had been saying to me for months, you know, you're going to be the next council leader. Um, having had three unsuccessful runs at Parliament, um, I tend to try not to get overexcited in advance because it can be really sort of damaging to your mental health. Um, but I think, you know, we, we thought it would probably happen. Um we didn't expect to do so well and to be able to put together such a strong partnership um, for change. Um, And yeah, it's really exciting. It feels very different than when I did it before when it was a complete accident and a complete shock. Now, for the completely uninitiated, here you are, you've Mm -hmm. been shot into the position very, very quickly of of being the council leader. You're bringing together a number of different parties together yeah. to work in in unison but for those who have no idea what you've had to go through as leader give us give us a feeling what was it like from day one whenever you find yourself in this position obviously it wasn't entirely new to you but you did have to form a cabinet and so on but yeah so the way it works is you, you we got elected at the beginning of may uh, and you don't find out obviously until the day after the election how the numbers have fallen we dis- established that we had the by far the largest group worked out who else had had numbers and then we were able to go out and talk to the leaders of each political group that that we were comfortable working with we didn't we didn't talk to the conservatives and they got a bit cross about that but we knew that we weren't going to work with them because most of the people that voted for us were voting to change so there would be really no point so we talked to the other groups and said you know what are your policies what are our policies where do things align and over the course of a week or so we established um the commonality um, we had worked with some of them before, so we knew sort of the characters involved. And we put together over that first two weeks a very detailed manifesto. So we took everything that was in all of our manifestos and we either agreed it or threw it out. And then we signed up to a partnership agreement. Once we had done that and we knew what our sort of terms were, we took that to the council officers and said, is this something you can work with? You know, will it will it make sense? Is it going to cause any problems? Uh, and they said, well, there's a massive financial hole in the budget, so we'll have to have a look and see, you know, whether whether it's affordable and whether things can be done quickly. But if you're willing to prioritise and deprioritise, we'll go for it. What then happens was at the end of May, we had the first full council meeting at which you have to be formally elected the leader. So people propose you, second you, you give a speech about what you're going to do and there's a vote. So we've only actually been in control for three weeks today. Um, So we haven't been able to see any of the finances or understand what's going on until three weeks ago. So it's... It feels like nothing's happened, but that's because we are genuinely really, really new. 
Now, obviously, you've already gone there, but obviously no one particular party at the moment has a, has a clear majority. Mm-hmm. So that has need uh, open the door to coalition. You've already talked about the, mm. those early days. Do, do, do you see it as a, as a, a really difficult task? Because I suppose you've got two issues, haven't you? One, you've got the issue of place because Bournemouth, Christchurch and Poole mm. are very different in their identity as places mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, but then, of course, then you have the different political priorities that each of the, yeah. of the groups have coming together. Um, has it been, um, was there, have you found that there was this real willingness to work together? So the, the, the reason that we called the, our, our alliance the Three Towns Alliance is because a lot of people, I mean, I live in Poole, and a lot of our, our members are in Christchurch, and there has been a feeling from the beginning of BCP that um, that people were being forgotten, people didn't want to be part of it, and they felt like it was a Bournemouth takeover. Interestingly, even in the last year, people in Bournemouth have been saying this was a big mistake. So they were feeling that you know things were leaching out to Paul and Christchurch, and it's such a toxic place when you think three wonderful places sitting alongside each other complementing each other and yet everybody was attacking everybody else so you know it's sort of laying laying our weapons down if you like and saying you know what we're much better together um and and going in with a basis of going everybody has a different identity let's acknowledge that and celebrate it and someone described it to me the other day when they came for an interview, so I'm shamelessly stealing it, but she's, she's from Kent, so she might not hear this, <laughs> um, that we're like a blended family, a blended family where you have no favourites, but each one brings something different. And I thought that was really special. And I, that's, what, that's what we're trying to create, is this blended family where we acknowledge our differences, but work for the common good. Um, and, and I don't... I think it's actually really refreshing and I welcome the idea of working cross-party. As you know, Blair, my political background means that I'm very comfortable with coalition and proportional representation and I believe that if if somebody's got um, a significant portion of, of the vote, then they should be represented. And that's why we we haven't brought the Conservatives and the Labour group into the into the alliance because there would be a different direction but we've been very clear that they should have a lot of leadership in the scrutiny of the council so that we are properly challenged and actually that's quite important isn't it because in any form of political party in British politics having a, a good opposition I mean one which is, I guess is holding the ruling group to account is, mm. is a healthy thing to be. Mm. It's just that sometimes even that goes per ship, doesn't it? It can do. And I mean, we've had experience of really toxic opposition, which which was became very personal. Um, and I think it's, it's hard enough in politics at whatever level you are um, to, to, to move forward without the public um, you know, being toxic towards you. I mean, I've you know, I've been to court with harassment cases. I've had to have the police to protect me at some point, and that's out- outrageous. But when people who are also facing election are are being really toxic and personal towards you, that's hard. So we want to try and get rid of that and say, look, constructive opposition is really good. The idea of scrutiny is to make policy better, not to pull it apart. And I I think that's a lot we can learn from it. So we've drawing a a clean slate the atmosphere is so much more positive than it was you know even a few months ago 
Um, and you know having chats with people that perhaps six months ago we would have passed in the corridor we're now having a giggle with and that that's got to be a good thing now of course the the other thing that you had to do was appoint a cabinet and yep. uh, again for the completely uh, uninitiated what is a cabinet so the style of leadership that the council currently has and we are looking to do a review to see if it's the best form of leadership um, is a leader and cabinet model so that means i get to be the leader elected to be the leader um, and represent the council um, in its dealings across the country. So if there's governmental conversations, um, meeting with MPs, representing the council on various bodies and being the sort of the, the voice of the council, that, that's my role. But then um, I can't obviously do that on my own. So I have a cabinet of eight uh, members from my party and the three independent groups that we joined up with and they represent everything from the uh, the voice of children um, the health agenda the environment um, the uh, tourism everything that the council does sits within one of nine portfolios so my portfolio is about place shaping and equalities and then the other eight have different priorities so they spend their time um, working closely with the officers so that is the staff of the council in driving the agenda in their area and then at the end of each cycle sort of every month we come together and policies that the council needs to get through, we collectively discuss and agree. That's Heather Small there and uh, Proud, my very special guest today, the, the leader of BCP Council, Councillor Vicky Slade. We're talking really about the, her role as councillor and, of course, the cabinet that she's just uh, appointed. Now, v- Vicky, obviously you've taken over, you've already said this at a very challenging time. Mm. You've got a bit of a different feel. It's great to hear that that feel is, is a positive one. Probably a lot of people won't know that in terms of budget, you know, that children's services and adult social care, both of which the council has got to deliver, yeah. it's statutory. Of course, they leave, they, they take a majority mm. of the money. And I guess that with, you know, with, um, unfortunately, the way things are in the world, that, that the, the bill for that's not getting smaller. No, I mean, um, you know, I, I sort of use the figure of, you know, let, let's assume you've got a £2,000 a month, a year bill for your average household. Um more than two thirds of that is going for adults and children. Now, most people assume, don't they, that their council tax is potholes, bins, libraries, maybe. Um, but that is a tiny proportion of what the council does. And there are some things that, are, as you say, are statutory. So it is our responsibility to deliver. Um, we have uh, over 500 children uh, in care. Uh, we have other children who are on the edge of care. So, you know, their families can't manage them. We have um, many, many thousands of children with special educational needs that we have a responsibility to look after their welfare. So they're, they're not children in care, um, but they're children who have um, a need for extra help in schools, which isn't funded directly, and that needs support. But then, obviously, we're in a, an ageing population, and this area has a double the number of, of, the, of, of older people than other parts of the country. So that means we've got more care homes, we've got more people who need 
um, you know, care in their own homes and that's all funded through the council um, if somebody doesn't have their own means so that's means tested but there's a lot of people who perhaps have lived in social housing all of their lives and then they go into care We're, we have to pay those bills because they don't have the income to do it um, that doesn't leave a lot of money and sadly um, the government have reduced over a decade or more to to a tiny, tiny amount what they give to councils. So we have to raise that money locally. That's obviously unpopular. That's really can only be raised from council tax, from business rates and fees and charges. So when the car parking charges go up or the beach hut fees go up, it's because the alternative is council tax rises and, and that's going to affect everybody not just the people who use those additional optional services now obviously having a vision is mm. really important and you've already began began to set out that vision it's not something that you've done out of your own head mm. you've been you've been working in partnership with others share us something of the shape of that so the first thing i think is really important is that over the last few years there has been a sense from a lot of people that our residents haven't been coming first. And that's sort of driven us to say our residents our, are the people who put us in place. They are the people we should be thinking of first. And those residents will also work here, so they're in the businesses. So it is about putting them front and centre and thinking about how we make their lives better. So a lot of the, the work we're doing is pivoting towards the, the residents and understanding what do they need from us. Um, then there's that sort of message around everyone deserves a home. You know, whether, whether it's owned by us or owned by them is sort of irrelevant, but everyone deserves a roof over their heads. They deserve to live in somewhere that is safe and they deserve to, to live in a, an environment that is, is clean. And so we're, we're, we're moving our thinking around well-being and sustainability. So whether that's the well-being of people in terms of their health or in terms of the, um, their, their um, emotional well-being, their, their well-being of, of living in a home that isn't covered in mould, that, that, you know, that's safe from other people, um, and the well-being of the place. So we're trying to sort of look at the council through a new lens so we're looking at our corporate strategy that we developed four years ago and, that, and that's a really good corporate strategy you know it talks about um everybody p playing a part in their community and with vibrant communities those things are still really important but there are things perhaps that went a little bit off kilter we're more interested in getting the basics right and less interested in the big shiny things because the big shiny things don't tend to to make you know your average person who's who's living in a suburb or living in a in a tower block feel like their life is better and we want to make sure their lives feel better if you don't feel better it doesn't matter what we tell you is better you know, recently there were some stats about you know, antisocial behavior being down 25% in the area it doesn't feel like that so that's what we've got to deal with is is making people have a positive sense of their the world around them uh, if everybody's life is a little bit better then actually they'll start to trust us when we're asking them to do things that are a little bit more radical now obviously uh, and i guess that being a you know a, 
in, in your ward being Broadstone, and you've mm. already at the beginning of the program talked a little bit about, I suppose, cutting your teeth there. And, mm. and Broadstone has been an area where there has been quite a bit of, of consultation and feedback. Mm. Are there lessons from working at the ward level, in terms, particularly in terms of what your passion has been to, to get to the heart of the people and, yeah. and to know that you're on track, as it were? So this this new strategy will go out to full consultation that's something we were proud of doing four years ago we went out into you know town halls and 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 parish councils and things to talk but what's been lost i think is that people don't feel like they're really asked what they think they they get presented with a sort of a fait accompli and they they think oh this is just a tick box exercise so we want to try and open up more community conversations so something that we're going to be doing very soon and we're just trying to get the question right is opening up what I've described as a bucket. Um, and it's a it's it's an opportunity for people to talk about Bournemouth Town Centre because it doesn't matter whether you live in Highcliffe or Hamworthy, um, you everybody has this view that Bournemouth in fact I was talking to my fifteen year old and our dog walked last night and he <laughs> said, If you're gonna change one thing, Mum, you need to sort out Bournemouth Town Centre because it's rubbish. Mm. And I was like, Well, okay, that's great. Thank you for the feedback. Um, but actually what we need to understand is not it's rubbish it's okay how would you make it better and and i don't think we've asked for a long time people what they genuinely would like to see because it's all it's not down to me to decide what we should put in the town center and which building should stay and which building should go it's actually because then you know we haven't consulted have we so let's ask people open question find out what they want some of them won't be possible. Some of them, you know, the council doesn't own the buildings in the town centre. They, they're all owned by private landlords. No, the beachfront for that matter. Yeah, the beachfront's owned by the America State. So, you know, we, we have interests and assets and we have partners. But actually, we tend to ask the partners what they want to do. But we tend not to ask the people. So I want to ask the people, find out what the very long list of, of, of ideas are. Crazy, big, small, you know original let's bring it all together and then sit down with the partners whether that's the university the landlords the retailers the the business organizations the churches everybody and say these are the things that people have told us they want how can you help us deliver them because there will be people there who will say hang on a minute we'd love to do that We've got the money to invest in that. That's something that we've got skills in and use those partners. So I think that we need to see much more community involvement not consultation, because consultation is has become a bit of a dirty word. Well, I suppose that consultation uh, with outcomes from that and maybe what you need is a few quick wins we do need some quick wins so one of the things that we're trying to develop that we're hoping will be available later on um, in the summer um, is the first phase of our resident card which has been our sort of flagship thing about saying how do we put residents first how can we give people rewards for for doing the right thing and how can we prioritize them over and above visitors so that's something we're developing at the moment there's a workshop on it today with our officers about you know how can each department benefit from that um, and we also recognise that, you know, there are some some really quick things, you know, someone was saying to me the other day, you know, when there's gum on the pavements, you know, it just looks shabby, you know, things that are broken, let's fix them. You know, why are they? I've got a bin on the dog walk I do every day and the lid is off. 
Now, that sounds minor, but every time you walk past the bin, all you can do is smell dog mess. Yes. So mm. those things do matter to people and they niggle. So if we can deal with the niggles, you get people who then respect the place better. So it's about how do we do that in a financial, financially constrained way because we don't have a lot of money. You know, we, we collect a lot of money, but we have to spend a lot of money. And the council has got a massive deficit next year. So we, we have to find more original ways of dealing with the problem. And I suppose that when you do the consultation, that has to be on the table. Because I, I guess at the end of the day, Bournemouth Pool and Christchurch is about all of us together, isn't it? It is. Uh, and I guess that it's not about what just the council can do because we, we we're terrible aren't we about telling people what they should do but, oh but do you know do you know that what i'll give you an example one of the things that people have been sort of complaining about oh she's back she's going to close all the roads okay so people some people love 20 mile an hour zone some people hate them you know i've got one in my area and i might i get i get both sides but when we held the coronation we had a street party in my road and everybody at that street party said why don't we have a 20 mile an hour zone? And I was like, well, you know, do you want one? Everyone's telling me they don't want one. Everybody wants it in their own street, but they want to drive down someone else's street faster. <laughs> and I think we've got to recognise that we all have an impact on everybody else. And how do we make sure that we can, we can have a better life without having a negative impact on other people? Um, and, and that's a very difficult balancing act. But sometimes you have to challenge people to say, OK, fine, you want a 20 mile an hour, we can progress that. But you have to respect that in the next road where you're driving too fast, those people also want to be able to let their kids out to play, let their cat, you know, get out without being squashed on the road. And, and I think we just have to take a step back and go, how do we have a positive impact on other people's lives? 